the first piece of legislation we've had in the United States, again, anti-trafficking piece of legislation was in 2000. So that's how new this is to us. Hi, and welcome to Best Infested. I'm Leslie Lepage, the director of the La Femme International Film Festival, and this is a podcast for people who are interested in advancing their career in TV and film and learning the dirty little secrets of Hollywood. Today, I'm very pleased to have on the show Christina Zorich. She is a producer, writer, actor, acting teacher. She directs as well, and she stems from New York. Uh, lovely town that New York is. <laughs> Her passion, though, is is very interesting because out of this experience of being this uber hybrid of an actor, an acting teacher, being in the entertainment industry for the past twenty five years. Not that I want to date you, but you know she started young. <laughs> um, in twenty twelve, uh, the human trafficking was really starting to to come into play in the world. And right around there, she became aware of this horrific issue that the world is dealing with. And through that opening of that experience, she ended up um, meeting and, and discovering a lot of these victims, these young victims and, and learning their stories. She then expanded this into creating a very interesting documentary called The New Abolitionists. And that actually screened at the La Femme International Film Festival. It screened at so many other film festivals worldwide. She now has distribution for this, but we're going to be really talking about, um, well, first let me, let me start. How, how did you get bit um, with the entertainment bug? And welcome to the show, Christina. <laughs> bit yeah well i got planted in it more than bit um my my parents are both actors they've both passed on a louis zorich and olympia dukakis so they had a theater company when i was growing up and you know it was uh, in montclair new jersey called the whole theater and initially i was born in new york city and then they moved with a bunch of actors and started their company out in montclair so i spent my childhood amongst uh writers directors actors artists composers it was just the household it was my upbringing i mean we had a pretty somewhat normalized life montclair is a really actually a wonderful town to raise a family um, but yeah, so it, it, I was put in shows. I did little films with my mom when I was young and started auditioning in my teens and wanted to get, I wanted to actually go to college for, um, acting, but my mom was like, no, you have to get a degree. So I got an English degree, but yeah, so I, I, I just started young. I had, they put me in our town. I played, um, the, the daughter of George Webb, I believe the character's name is. Or no, the sister, this younger sister of George Webb. And I had this scene on a ladder with him. And it's such a beautifully written play. And I, I had this moment after the scene ended where I went, this is what I'm going to do. This is what I want to do as a person as I, when I grow up. This is it. I, it was this crazy moment that I just realized. Um, so 
Then I, and then I went to um, college and got this degree in English, got out, went to Bill Esper for two years, started auditioning and acting, did a lot of regional theater and off-off-Broadway was a part of a company, worked a lot with my mom and my, you know, my uncle, who was, all, was also an actor, my dad, and a, a lot of the friends and family we knew that were acting with their company. And once the, the whole theater closed, we continued to work in different theaters across the country. And then I started doing indies and voiceovers. And um, eventually it, it led to teaching, which uh, will start, yeah, it started to lead to teaching. And then teaching led to small directing, producing jobs. Then I moved out here and with a teaching job. And that led to, um, uh, I can't remember exactly what happened. I, I sold property back in New York and was sitting on this money living out here in LA and thought, okay, what do I do? I was going to act in and my mom was going to direct and, and we had a New York producer. We had a show we wanted to do in New York and I just got apprehended by this social justice issue and I decided to make this documentary. Um, it was crazy. I, I, I look back and I go, people said to me, this is crazy. And I, at the time I was like, no, I can do it, you know, but now I'm like that, this is crazy. <laughs> I made this movie from scratch. You know, just to jump back, I, I knew your mom. She was a formidable uh, force uh, to be to be reckoned with uh, on and off stage, and you, you know, a, 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 a hugely talented. But also, you were able to bring her into this documentary in this kind of intro that kind of set the stage into this documentary. But but let's just cut to. You, you got bit by this social issue, because I'm also bit by this social issue as well. And you decided to make this documentary, and you had really no idea of the danger that you were putting yourself in when you started really going after the truth to these cartels that are utilizing this renewable saleable source as as they as they call it which is human which is human beings basically what happened is i met an anti-trafficker in 2012 at a hollywood party a christmas party and one of my students i was teaching at anthony mendel studios and um they had a they had a christmas party invited me and she was there her name is erica grieve she runs an ngo called unlikely heroes um, and they were looking to raise, she was looking to raise funds and raise, raise awareness about this issue. She had, and she started just telling me stories because I was like, human sex trafficking, what's that? I mean, I'm embarrassed to say it now, but in 2012, I, I had no idea what she was talking about. So she told me a bunch of really horrible stories. And I, I literally, I'm not kidding you, Leslie, time stood still. I had a moment of just... You know, you have those moments in your life, like I've had those moments when I've fallen in love or I, I don't want to equate it with falling in love, but it was just this, it felt like such an ordained moment. A, a matrix moment, right? Where everything just freezes and holds and hovers there for a moment. Yeah, it felt like, I, I felt like I was in a moment, like, you know, you in your memories, you have moments that form you and then other moments you can't remember at all. I mean, I'm speaking from my memory. This was one of those moments I remember very detailed because it was just, 
I felt like I was being enlightened. Um, so she had basically, she was trying to, uh, she needed, she needed any resource possible at that point because she was raised, she was building homes for rescued women and children. And she had been a nurse in Northern California. A bunch of women and children had come into the hospital who had been trafficked. And at that point, which was, you know, a few years prior, there was no system to rehabilitate them or to um, deal with the level of trauma and, you know, forget, of course there's the physical issues, but the psychological issues are, you know, just unimaginable for the average person to think you can make it through. So she basically had to, um, she just eventually decided, I want to, I want to be a resource for these women and children and decided to build homes in different areas across the country. And I think she's global at this point. I don't know. Um, but they, they needed to staff them and they needed to, uh, pay people to be able to work and help rehabilitate these women and children. So I said, well, how can I help? How can I be of service? And, um, and I, at that point, I didn't think I could direct something. So I gave her three names of directors and cinematographers I knew. She met with them and I told them beforehand, I said, it's a charity. You're not, she can't pay you, but they all asked to be paid, which of course is reasonable because, you know, it's their services. And she came to me and she said, Christina, I, you know, all the, all the money has to go to the girls. And I was like, I understand. But that's when I got the idea. This would be a great idea for a documentary. And also somebody who's to help her would have to do this as an act of service. Cut to, we sold the property. I sold the property years later and decided, what am I going to do? I want to self-produce something. I was going to do this project with my mom. And then this just came into view. And, um, I was actually praying with a friend, um, about it. And she was like, I think you're supposed to do this. And I said, I think I am too. And then that was like a whole journey that then started with me moving towards figuring out what this was, understanding it, investigating, following leads, different people who were involved in this work. And I, I basically decided to follow the people who do this anti-trafficking work. And the, the, the stream of kind of uh, resources that opened up to me were people who were working in Southeast Asia for whatever reason. That's just how it, it wasn't a choice consciously, frankly, it just it unveiled like that. Um, and and so I went on a trip with a group that does this work and they, and a lot of these groups are interconnected in that region. They know of each other. They work together. They have to because they're involved in like, you know, um, they need, so I followed, I did a charter trip in 215. Um, and I came back, I thought I had the movie. I didn't have the movie. <laughs> I spent another year with a producer and editor trying to get a sizzle reel together, going back to the groups I had shot and say, you know, maybe... I really want to come back. This is the footage I have. A bunch of them said, you can't use it. I was like, great. So I had to really curve favor with those groups. And then I reached out to other groups, you know, trying to basically beg, borrow and steal, but also just morally let them know that I, I did not want to do anything else, but help them and aid them and advance our understanding and activate everyone to understand what's happening here. So and I went back 2016, shot it, um, and then came back a few years of editing part-time. I was airbnb 
I was uh, lift driving. I cater waited again. I did extra work, which I vowed I'd never do. <laughs> I did everything to pay my editor to get to the finish, you know, because, you know, as you go through the step with documentary, you make the whole, the, the storytelling happens in the edit because you're, and, and it's not even like it was something I consciously was thinking, oh, we're going to tell the story in the edit. It's like, that's when it gets told, you know, the outline I wrote initially ended up being you know, a shadow and a type of what actually was the story and was the structure and was the actual, um, uh, you know, I don't know what it is, the plot, I guess, of interest. And, you know, we went down a few dead ends and tried things out and, and my editor is very different than me. We would look at something and we would think the, we would have the opposite notes every single time. So we were constantly having to try each other's ideas out. And I always feel like the best idea in the room wins. And, you know, and that was the process. Then we did the film festival circuit. And then I spent the last year, we got five distribution deals, which is huge. That was, a, I, I, my lawyer told me that's a, that's a big deal for an indie doc to get that many. I was very grateful for them. And we picked freestyle digital media and now we're in the middle of the deliverables and every step of the way, Leslie, I've been, I didn't know what I was doing. I've had to figure it out. You know, I've had to go, I've had to learn how to do this. So it's been exciting and horrifying and, you know, fascinating and everything you can imagine. And I think the bottom line in terms of the danger part of it is I actually feel that part of it now more than I did when I was doing it. When I went in 2015, I shot with my camera and I had a lot of pushback and almost got beaten up a few times. When I, but when I went back in 2016, I used spyware and I got advice from different, yeah. So that helped because, you know, and my old producer was like, you should ask the government if we can get a permit. I was like, we're not going to get the movie if we do that. They're, everything's going to be hidden. So, so there you have it. But what's very interesting to me is at one of the film festivals, Richmond Film Festival, I met Craig Martin, who's a producer of his own doc series called The Good Road, which he co-produced and hosts with Earl Bridges. It was nominated for two Emmys. It's a wonderful series, but he asked me to host a doc series about trafficking in the States. And it's happening here. And the, 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 the other, the, the most shocking thing about when we did the, when, you know, most of the film festival circuit was done online, but towards the end, I think it was a few years ago, everything started opening up. So we, we did some live appearances and one of them was in Richmond and very smartly the, the, the festival director had two local groups that do this work in Richmond at the talkback. So we, they see the movie, the audience, and the first question at the talk back is how could these people do this to their children so I give this long flowery answer and then I turn to the girl the woman next to me who does this work locally and she goes well by the way it's happening here and it looks exactly like it does in her movie. exactly and that's I think a really key point um, for for our listeners um, who are doing social docs or trying to do social themed narrative um, you you have to understand some of these topics you think are just localized to certain countries, but human trafficking is a worldwide uh, economic system. And the worldwide economic system is buying and selling human beings. And the reason they can do that is unlike guns and unlike 
drugs, right? Once you use the drugs, you're done. Um, you know, once you sell the guns, you have to get more guns to sell. Human trafficking is a renewable resource. So you, you sell, you sell, you sell, you sell. And that, that, that entity, which is a human being, is that source that you just keep reselling over and over and over again until, unfortunately, they they kill them or they're lucky enough to escape. And more often, it's it's the latter. It's the it's the death. And it happens in the U.S. And they don't think it does. And it's it's prevalent prevalent in the U.S. Let me tell you, the first, the number one criminal industry globally is drugs. The second is human trafficking, and the third is weapons. And they believe that the same people who are trafficking drugs and weapons are trafficking children and women. The other thing that's interesting is when we shot the sizzle for the doc series in the States, I interviewed a trauma therapist. I interviewed, see, I didn't realize that the, the last year has been this huge eye-opening experience of me fighting through my own wall of denial and resistance to the idea that it's happening here to what actually happened in that screening room when that woman said that. She said to him, our, our, our home is filled with women and children who have been trafficked and their stories are very similar here. So what, what we, I also interviewed some undercover people who work in the government or retired guys. They told me that, um, What's happening is there's international cartels working with our gangs. The international cartels that they outed were the Russian mob, the Chinese mob, Mexican cartels, and some Eastern Europeans working with our mobs. Sometimes, I mean, I'm sorry, working with our gangs. Sometimes the gang members are working out of prisons. They're running trafficking rings. So, you know, it's just... It's shocking. I also interviewed um, a highway patrolman, a retired highway patrolman. The, the thing that's also important is the first piece of legislation we've had in the United States, again, anti-trafficking piece of legislation, was in 2000. So that's how new this is to us, right? And so I interviewed this this couple, this retired um, uh, retired uh, highway patrolman and his wife who worked as an assistant to an attorney general in Missouri. And the two of them, I mean, their stories were amazing. He basically said, and this was a year ago, that he had no idea how to identify human sex trafficking, the, the victims or the perpetrators. So his journey of figuring out it was happening was like this slow reveal. And he even went to his boss and said, what do we do about this? He said, well, you're, you know, you're in law enforcement, investigate it. So he now has decided to go around and educate other police officers about the signs and the way to detect it. So what I'm trying to, I guess the landscape I'm trying to say to everybody is this is new for us. We don't believe it's happening or the other horrible thing that's happened, which I have, have no patience for. And I'm actually sick and tired of hearing about Jeffrey Epstein and all this crap, because what it is, is it's, it's, it, it's pointing fingers. Usually it's laced with lies and conspiracy theories. And it's it, the, the, what's really happening is it's happening. I interviewed a victim who was trafficked out of her mother's basement, ran, was then put in foster care and then ran away, was abused there and ended up being trafficked out of a room on top of a gas station in Montana. She's escaped by digging something out of her arm. What are those things that you have in, like a chip out of her arm where they were tracking the girls? This is in the United States.
Another girl we, 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 I, we interviewed was being trafficked out of San Diego. I mean, it's like, I just don't think people get. Now, the one thing I learned about trafficking is it's like a shape-shifting thing. It kind of molds to the culture. So, yes, in Southeast Asia, there's spots where you can see something's going on. Whereas in our country, it's hidden. So people don't think it's happening. And they're like, oh, this is some crazy extremist thought of this political party or this group. The reality is it's actually happening. It's crossing both political parties. It's crossing red and, and you know, blue states. It's crossing, you know, gender. It's, it, it's everything. So I just think that we're just in a lot of denial right now. And I, I, I think it's going to take a little while. Like when I interviewed this assistant to the AG... I mean, she interviewed some woman who had uh, locally who had who had ended up in the hospital. I think she had been working in a, uh, a massage place. I can't remember her place of business, but it was a front and she had been trafficked. They had been trafficking women and children out of this place. And I think her body, something happened to her. I don't remember the details of the interview, but. As evidence, she gave them her phone, and there were names and numbers of people, of positions of, of authority in that area locally, and people like, you know, police force, government, whatever, people, I, I don't know the level, right? But this assistant to the, um, the AG told me, she goes, Christina, within a few days, the phone went missing. And then, within a, and then soon after, she got fired. So I took, she said, I want to talk to you about this. We took, we turned the cameras off. I said, this is what it seems to me. A bunch of people don't know this is happening. Other people know what's happening and are hiding it. And then there's some people who know it's now happening, but don't know what the, you know, what to do about it. And she's like, that's exactly right. Well, that's exactly, you just landed right on my now, you know. Um, I haven't had the, uh, I mean, there's a lot, probably a bunch of filmmakers are going to see this, right? Festival people. Uh, Everyone knows what it's like to create something, you know, it's, especially if you're really an independent filmmaker, um, you just have to be scrappy (laughs) and you, you go into this cocoon of just your world becomes so simple it's like the next step and what do I do and, and how do I grow and develop and what information do I need and what resources. So you're just so in this like train of events, right? So when, when we hand off the film, I'm going to be exactly at that point that you just said. Um, you know, there's just, there's, the answer is yes, it's transformed me. I feel like I've become a grown-up, you know. I'm, I, I knew evil existed in the world, but I don't think that I, I really understood it the way the film has made me. I think this, 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 the film has strengthened me and um, it's made me, in some ways it's also been a relief for me because I feel like so much of the chaos I had growing up of not understanding men and women and issue, social issues, I, I didn't. It was like somehow the movie finally went, yes, things can be this bad and there is systemized misogyny or abuse. Like these things are real. You weren't overreacting or, you know, people who get upset about this aren't the, 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 you know, 
these strange people on the side, the hybrids. No, this is a part of the fabric of our society. Now, being an actress, I learned one thing, also teaching acting. We can lean into different parts of ourselves when we play different characters. So I can lean into the part of me that's loving and good and kind, and I can lean into this other part of me, right? That's how you play characters. So it's a choice, right? A decision who we want to be, right? So I, I, I think the movie grew me up. It, faced, it made me really um, look at... Um, just who we are as human beings. And, and there's, there's a lot of pain in that, but there's also relief because you go, okay, this is part of the human experience. You know, this is, this is not a part that we need to have. We need to fight it. You know, just like we fought slavery, as my mom says in the movie, and ended it, or the transatlantic slave trade ended that. You know, you can... Uh, decide, we can decide as human beings what, who we are, who we decide, what part of ourselves we lean into, right? So I, I think the one project I'm thinking about is probably very different than all of this. Um, it's, about, it's, it's following a, a woman named Catherine Coleman, who was one of the first itinerant preachers in this country. Uh, she had a healing ministry. I'm very interested in her story. I'm thinking of developing that and We'll see what happens with this doc series. Also, I got to get a job. I got to get an acting job or a teaching job. I mean, I can't just keep self-funding stuff. You know what I mean? Like, I got to, I got to make, I got to work, you know? So there's all those things going on that I'm interested in. But yeah, it's, it's, it's totally changed me. It's totally changed me. I was just watching this, this, this wonderful, uh, doc series called, a crime scene, I think, Texas Killings. I don't know if you've seen it. It's on Netflix. The Brian Glazer, uh, Glazer. I loved it, you know? Like, it was, I mean, it, it, it you know, when we, we were interviewing some of the NGOs, one guy said, you know, there's the organized trafficking, and then there's the freelancers. He kept saying freelancers. Like, what are you talking about, freelancers, freelancers? But yeah, that's, that's what, what they're calling them, those that are not involved with a major cartel. Right, but still, there you go, right? That's what those guys were in those Texas sprees, you know, the killings. It's just, uh, I just, I really want us to evolve as a people. And I, I think, I think it's, I think I used to look at my mom's feminism and very much, I mean, I'm, I'm a Democrat, but I'm also a pretty devout Christian. And I've always, you know, a kind of very, some of, of the way she framed it, I didn't like the feminism, you know, and I think a lot of people in my generation felt that about feminists from the past. I, I couldn't, I couldn't figure out in male and female relationships how that worked. Do you know what I mean? So I just, it's always been a conundrum, but I, I realize now after making the movie and where we are now as a, as a culture, we have to solve it, even though it's hard, even though it's, it's messy and we don't agree all the time, you know, it, it we need to evolve. We need to evolve. We need to be, we need to find a way to love each other and not destroy each other. I don't know how, but we got to figure it out. It's just, I don't know how else to say it. It's as simple as that. It's through that first step of awareness and then the second step of eye-opening and, and losing the, the innocence that we have in that particular topic. So um, during the filming, I know that you had mentioned um, that there were 
they didn't want you there. They didn't want you filming that you ended up having to use spyware um, in order to get and capture some of this just very startling, uh, striking uh, video footage. Um, would you do it differently or how can you, how can you advise some of the documentary uh, filmmakers that are listening um, who might be doing not this topic per se, but you know, a, a, a similar social, you know, context topic on how to approach it maybe so that they can avoid some of the pitfalls that you got sucked into and were able to pull yourself out of? Well, number one, every, I mean, I'm really big on like everything has a kind of structural truth to it, right? You know, like um, running a film festival has a structural truth to it, right? Investigating, uh, being an actress and investigating a character and and writing a story, you know, like they all have kind of a structural truth to it that's just elements of what that thing actually is. So I just feel like I'm a big, I really trust in process. I really believe that if you want answers and you want to get to something, you'll get there. Um, so you'll figure out the way to solve it. My big thing is just make sure this is part of who you are and your destiny. Like if it's not, don't do it. You know, if it's not something, you know, I had a writing teacher back in New York say to me, people write about things they're obsessed with and they write about things. It's almost like it almost feels unhealthy. You know, like my dad, he wrote a book about auditioning. He would constantly talk about auditioning. My mom would tease him about it. You know, he collected audition stories. It was like this thing he wanted to understand. Why is this the way it is? right? So he was obsessed with it. So he wrote a book about it. So I think that you have to figure, you have to trust that part of yourself that, that, that wants to understand something because that's what, that's what storytellers are, right? They want to understand something. They want to glean something from this topic or, or, um, there's, there's lessons there. Like when I was shooting and I won't go into detail, but there were moments where I was like, Oh, this is why I'm making the movie. Like I had these internal revelations like, oh, now I get this about this. Like, it, and it would happen the whole way. You know, I'd get personal lessons about myself as a person, things that I had needed to develop in myself that the film helped me, you know? Do you feel that, um, you know, you came from two major hitters in entertainment do you feel Olympia and your and your father? Do you feel you have now started walking out of their shadow with this documentary? You know, it's so funny. It's like people say about the the women and children that they've been victimized or they're victims or survivors. And when you talk to them, most of them don't say they're victims or survivors at all. They just think they're like living their life. And I kind of feel that way about my life. Like I don't. I worked a lot in theater, so, and I worked with my mom and dad a lot. Sometimes I did not, but, and I did a lot of indies, whatever, but with them and without them. But I never thought of myself in their shadow. The way the experience was is I felt when I was working with them, I always had to prove myself on the set or in the theater. Like people would go, okay, she's got this job because of this. And so I would privately think, well, I got to work double hard 
to, to, to be really good at what I do to feel like, yes, good in my heart and know in my soul that I, that I, that I honored this part and I did the best I could with it. So somebody couldn't go, well, why'd she do that? Somebody else, you know what I mean? Somebody else should have gotten that. You know what I'm saying? So that was what it felt like. Maybe other people saw it as shadow. I felt like I had to like work doubly hard to feel that I honored and, 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 uh, met my opportunities, you know? Um, so yeah, I mean, that's what it felt like. I, I, I think part of me moving to LA also was having enough space to figure out what mattered to me because when I was back in New York, I was close to my family and it felt like I was so always connected to the needs and wants of my family. So maybe that was part of my maturation process because, you know, in New York, the city's always stimulating you and inspiring you. Here you have space. You can actually go, oh, wait a minute, you know? Um, and so it was very different. I love that about LA. I love that you can like, you've got, you know, a lot of breathing room to evaluate and to muse and to, you know, investigate in yourself a little more. If that makes sense. Does that make sense? Yeah. Last couple of questions. Uh, what advice would you give to a young documentary filmmaker coming up and doing, let's say, their first doc or maybe, you know, their second doc? Well, number one, oh, wow. Well, there's the personal aspect, which is what really matters to you. And then there's the does the world need it? <laughs> That's a good one. Yeah. That's great for documentary filmmakers. Does the world need it? Yeah. Because if you feel like I even said, I was trying to pitch the doc series to, uh, knock the, not the, my movie, but another one to somebody at a, at a streaming network. And I said, and we were all talking on a zoom call to pitch it. And, and, and I said, I don't want to do this if it doesn't move the needle forward in this conversation, because we know, and I, you know, I always would, when I would, all right, perfect example. When I would audition, I never booked it, but CSI and um, not CSI, um, Law and Order in New York. You know how everybody has their Law and Order in New York. I never booked it. I got close, but I I, I never booked the the. And but um, I remember um, when I was this one part I really got close to was was a, a, a she was a, a an addict secretly a crackhead but hiding it publicly and worked in retail, whatever, in New York. And I remember I watched all these programs and movies and everything I could get my hands on, on crackheads, just to be, right? And I thought, well, what can I bring to this that hasn't been done already? Because, you know, you don't want somebody to look at it. It's like my mom used to say, I don't want to see that person's Hamlet. I know what they're going to do, right? You want to see somebody bring something to the conversation we haven't seen. So that's my advice is think that way. Try to think like the, one of the things people said to me about my doc that they liked is that we focused on the people who do the work of the, the um, do the, yes, that's the, 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 the people group we're, we're following instead of like, and, you know, so it has its kind of in, um, uh, originality and uniqueness in that. And, and so I would, I would just, uh, suggest they take the time to figure out how they can move the needle forward or 
I, I really think documentaries are about solving problems, right? They're about solving a problem. So how do you solve the problem? Like if somebody's tried to figure it out in another movie in another way, well, why hasn't that done it? <laughs> why hasn't that solved it? So what's, you know, and then maybe that's idealistic as hell and so be it. That's who I am. But you just keep trying to solve problems, right? That's one thing I learned as an act, uh, acting teacher. If you, if you sit in the room long enough with two actors, you can solve the problem. If you work hard enough and coach an actor for an audition, you can make sure they at least get an, a call back. But do you want to sit with them for three hours? Most teachers don't want to do that, right? They want to do a half hour session for our, you know, $200 and then walk away. But if you want to solve the problem, you can do it. You just can't leave the room. You got to just keep trying to figure out what's, how do we solve the problem? Right, right, right. That's, that's great. That's great. Last question. What's a dirty little secret you wish somebody would have told you that you've learned along your travels that you can share? <laughs> wow. This is emotional. And I, and I know this is crazy because I think I battle with this. I'm not, I'm not pure. It really isn't about what everybody else thinks. It really isn't. It's not. It's just nothing. I mean, I don't think there's one area of my life that was, when I reached, I had a few moments in my life where I reached something that somebody thought was successful or looked a certain way. And people think, oh, that's what life's about. It's really not. It's not about that. It's about like, your heart and how much joy you have or how you, uh, figure out how to maintain your hope and, and your, and, and your, and healthy relationships. And it's about these like very simple, uh, parts of our human experience. You know, I think that that's in the end, the older I get, I'm going to get emotional. That's the stuff that matters. You know, that's the stuff that's meaningful. I think especially once you get to the age where people start dying, <laughs> like, and I don't, I mean, there's some people who people in their family die young, so they have to do that younger. But I just mean that the natural evolution, you start really, oh, wow, I don't have a lot of time left. You know, what, do, what matters to me? What, what do I want my life to be about? What do I care about? Who do I love? Why do I love? You know, like, how do I make myself happier in my own skin? Like, is there a God that I, that I value or worship? Is there a spiritual, like those kinds of things I think in the end are the, are the real like equity of our lives. You know, the stuff that really brings us deepness and, and resonance. Brilliant. I want to say thank you so much. Um, everyone that has been listening, you've uh, met today, uh, Christina Zorich, an amazing filmmaker with her uh, film that has and is going out to the world, the new abolitionist, which is being released when? They think it's going to, the, 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 the estimated is like April 2023. That's where they think, yeah. Perfect. Thank you again. Shout out uh, how people can get a hold of you if they are interested in having you be a uh, acting coach or communicating with you on your uh, doc. Absolutely. Well, I have two main sources of and there's contact pages on both, you know, online. There's the website for the movie, which is the new abolitionists 
plural, doc.com, and there's a contact page. But more frequently, you can reach me on christinazorich.net, which is my personal website. There's a contact page, and I, I check in there often. And we also are on Facebook. We have, so please like us there and check to see what the developments of the film on our Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. And we, we usually post stuff on our website as well. Perfect. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on Best in Fest. For all those that want to see the video component, you can go to the La Femme Film Festival channel on YouTube. Uh, like us on the podcast and forward this podcast off to all those who are interested in making film and television. Christina, thank you for joining me on Best in Fest. Mm-hmm.